Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The Lord be with you. Our catechesis for this morning from the small catechism answers the question that we've been asking our young students and also our adults in Bible study on Mondays and Saturdays. What is the Christian faith? The Christian faith is the confession that Jesus Christ is the world's only Savior and Redeemer. What then is a Christian? A Christian is someone who, by the power and work of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, believes and confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord. Through baptism, a Christian is adopted into the Father's family, the church. Where do we then learn about Jesus? God's truth about Jesus Christ is made known in the Bible and its central message. We call that truth the gospel, namely the forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake. Hear the word of the Lord again, and he came out of the temple. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is our text. I love to travel by car. I don't know about you, but I gave up traveling by airplanes a long time ago. I like to see our country from the ground up. I'm not really crazy about that 30 or 40,000 foot view where you get to look out of an 18 inch by 12 inch double paint acrylic window, right? And then you may not even see, all you might see is the airplane's wing and the engine. Or you might be really unlucky and sit in the middle seat and the aisle seat and the guy in the window seat wants the window covered so you don't see anything at all. Worse yet, the supposedly safe and pressurized cabins for most travelers, all we can afford, has been a captive area this year. Over 5,000 incidents of unrest between angry and overpressurized passengers. Upon flight attendants. No, thank you. I'll take the highway over the airway any day. And being an experienced driver, I'm sure my wife will agree, under perjury laws that apply. I follow the rules of the road. I always, especially the caution roads that are along the caution signs, like I showed the kids that are on the highways. And in all my travels, I've gone through some mountainous regions of Missouri and Arkansas, Montana, Colorado, especially Montana, Wyoming, and out in Arizona, the mountains. I've seen that, and I see the same time, ever, the same sign everywhere I go. And I, I can't abide by that. I feel terrible that I can't obey that law. It says, watch for falling rocks. How are you supposed to do that and concentrate on the road at the same time? If you figure that out, let me know. Now, I understand new cars have autopilot. I don't ever trust an autopilot in a car. 
To be sure, the mountains that we see, that I've seen along the way, and the, mountain, the mountainous rock formations that jut out from them are so beautiful to admire, even to climb, if you are so inclined to do. And they're wonderful to see as they rise really high, seemingly all the way up into the clouds. It's breathtaking to behold it, especially if you're going through areas that have been cut out, the roads have been cut right out of the mountain, and you keep going up the hill and you keep seeing more. It's beautiful. But I imagine that the explanation, that exclamation of the disciples on that day that they came out of the Herod's temple, which, by the way, is Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' life, might be similar in expression to the, what we see when we drive through the mountain regions and we behold the beauty of God's creation. We might say the same thing. What wonderful stones! At that time, believe it or not, the construction of Herod's temple had begun long before Jesus was even born. It, be, it was being reconstructed in 20 B.C. And that structure high on Mount Moriah loomed way over into the clouds and looking down upon Jerusalem. It had large white marble stones, some of them 37 feet long, 18 feet wide, and 12 feet high. Decorated with gold, it was one of the most impressive man-made structures of ancient times. It was breathtaking to behold. So when the disciples saw this architectural achievement, and one of them looked at there and he said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. They were looking at an unfinished product. It didn't even get done until 64 AD, some 33 years after this takes place. But on this day, just two days before his last Passover meal, Jesus answers his disciple with, a, with words that tell us he's not very impressed by that building, is he? And he's not so impressed by the reaction of the disciples to the majesty of that temple. By the way, he calls that temple my house. I don't know if that disciple heard that either. This is the same temple that just 24 hours earlier had been turned into a flea market. An outdoor bazaar where people were hawking animals at extremely exorbitant prices. So high that the faithful followers who were going there, who spent most of their meager earnings just to get to Jerusalem, could not afford. So Jesus had been rightly angered that day. He cast out the money changers and the sellers out of the temple courts. He told anyone who could hear his voice, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you, you have made it a den of robbers. And then Jesus left that night, no doubt saddened, but certainly not surprised, for in his three years of ministry he had pretty well seen it all. So he was just witnessing another, just another thing that he'd already heard so many times and seen so many times before. The next day on Tuesday where this takes place, he returned to the city, headed towards the temple, only to be challenged by a group of chief priests and scribes and elders of the temple who, having heard that the day before, want to gang up on him and say, where do you think you get that authority to cast people out of the temple? 
Think about that. Religious leaders telling, challenging God in the person of Jesus. That's a level of blindness of people who are supposed to be spiritual models, experts of Scripture and God's law. But that wasn't all that happened on Tuesday in that temple. That same day, Jesus would witness even further and greater hypocrisy from the very people who had been blessed by God with wealth and important positions in the community and in the church. Sitting by the offering box, Jesus watches they drop in large offerings, but his thoughts are on this poor little widow who came to that offering plate and drops in two little copper coins. Everything she had in the world, she gave that day. Poor in spirit, rich in faith. That temple is supposed to be a safe haven for believers. It was supposed to be where God spoke and God's people listened. It should be that way in the church every day, shouldn't it? As prophesied of in Malachi, Jesus went on and purified the temple of those who sought to use the religion to line their pockets. He did so also in the flea market out in the temple courts. And now, put yourself in his place for a moment. He walks out of that temple, his house, a place of worship, a giant edifice. He walks out for the last time. What impression did the actions of Jesus on Monday and the earlier teachings on Tuesday in that temple where he's challenged and where he sees this hypocrisy, what impression did that leave on the disciples? They were with him. Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. That's what happens, my friends, when you take your eye off the road when you lose track of what is eternally important, gazing all the temporary structures and the things that are material in this world. The disciples who were to carry on the gospel message and build Christ's church on earth, certainly not like the one in front of them, but through him and in him, still three years to the day, could not comprehend what was happening before them. They could not see with their own eyes what was happening. They would not, save one, even witness the falling rocks that split in two by an angry God when his son takes his last earthly breath on a hill full of stones and rocks called Golgotha. And that would be just three days later. So Jesus' answer is not surprising. Do you see these great buildings? They're not going to be one stone left here. It will not be overturned. It'll fall to the ground. Later that night in the Mount of Olives, Peter and James and John and Andrew, seeking to understand, I give them credit, they want to try to figure that out. They ask him, tell us, 
When will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are going to be accomplished? They're not thinking the way Jesus is thinking. The disciples think Jesus is foretelling of the end of days. Quite frankly, everybody thought the end was coming soon, very soon. But Jesus is not prophesying at this point about the end of days, is he? He's prophesying about a day in 70 AD when that temple, that 15-story thing that juts into the clouds, that has massive stones attached to it, that is decorated with gold and that overlooks that entire city, will be down at the same level as the rest of the city. Destroyed by the Romans. Over a million people, Jews, killed. The rest escaping into the other areas of Perea. 70 AD, Jesus was prophesying about that day. But while he was there on that Tuesday night on the Mount of Olives, he, he went on with what was one of his last teachings. And he spoke ahead of, for the disciples, what they were going to face after him. He spoke of the impending destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. But he also warns of prophets and preachers, fake prophets, fake preachers, fake news, wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. Not a pretty picture that the disciples were receiving that Tuesday night. And then Jesus reminded them, and that reminder fits for us today, these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Unless you've been asleep at the wheel or watching for falling rocks, you know that we are experiencing birth pains right now as well, are we not? The foundations of our freedom and our rocks of the way of our life are breaking down. They're falling before our eyes. The Constitution is outdated. The electoral system isn't fair. Schools don't need social studies. They need critical race teaching. History is being rewritten every year. We need more men on the Supreme Court. One's gender is not important anymore. Government must be allowed to tell everyone how to live. What you earn should be shared with everyone. Everyone should be allowed to have rights and privileges of citizenship in our country just by sneaking into it. Oh, and those Bible-thumping, cross-bearing Christians should be taught that in this rapidly progressive world, there is no God. And if there ever was, we don't need him anymore. We're the builders now. This is our world. It will get worse, much worse, before the last stone will be thrown down and there will not be left one stone upon another and the world falls. If we, like the disciples, get caught up in man-made things, if we put our trust in anything but God and his promises, if we find ourselves watching for falling rocks and not letting the Holy Spirit be our guide, we too will surely fall. But Jesus says the one who endures to the end will be saved. Certainly Jesus would die on the cross and at that very moment the temple curtain would be rent in two and stones on the hill of Golgotha would break in two and that towering, towering mountain of the world's sin so much higher reaching so far up in the sky 
would be toppled into ruins with Jesus' dying words. It is finished. Sin, death, and the devil will not, cannot prevail. See that no one leads you astray, Jesus said. And we might take that cautionary note to heart. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. That's the good news. The end is not yet. There is still time. But Jesus' warning is loud and clear. Be on your guard. Because just as the disciples would face persecution and opposition from all sides, just as they would be brought to trial and called to bear witness for Jesus' sake, just as they would see face increasingly anti-Christian movement and sentiments, and even division in their own families, should we expect anything less? We too must be on guard, eyes on the road of faith on which the Holy Spirit is leading us, even when falling rocks are all around us. No, Jesus was not impressed by the architectural beauty of the temple because it was not about the building. It's not about this building either. It's not about towers. It's not about steeples or how big the stones are. What makes a house of worship worthy is not its outward appearance, but the word of God in it. In the house. <clears throat> the temple in Jerusalem had been an embassy of heaven on earth. But with the birth of Jesus, that temple no longer serves that purpose. Because the fullness of the Godhead now dwells bodily among us. His name is Jesus. That song we opened with this morning kind of speaks to that. Built on the rock. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church shall stand, even when steeples are falling. Crumbled have spires in every land. Bells are still chiming and calling. Calling the young and old to rest. But above all, the souls distressed. Longing for rest everlasting. Surely in temples made with hands, God the Most High is not dwelling. High above his earth the temple stands, all earthly temples excelling. Yet he who dwells in heaven above chooses to live with us in love, making our bodies his temple. We are the church. We are the body of Christ on earth his church, of which he is the head. And he has told us that the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nation. God wants all people to hear the gospel. He prolongs this New Testament age so that the church may witness to all the earth. And we can't do that if we're busy watching rocks fall. Martin Luther made it very clear about the course on which the Christian walks. While it may be littered with hordes of devils threatening to devour us, and while this world's tyrant range, rage, or when they take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse, and even though life may be wrenched away, they cannot 
win the day. For a mighty fortress is our God. And God's judgment must prevail because the kingdom is ours forever. As, as I was preparing this, I, I have another caution sign that came to mind that might make a perfect antidote to watch for falling rocks. See it at railroads. Time. Stop, look, and listen. Stop getting derailed by the temptations of things worldly. Look to God alone and listen to his word. Don't watch for falling rocks. Amen. I mean, the peace of God that passes our human understanding and keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.